Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning Bible study held weekly at Chapel Hill and led by our Minister of Education, Casey Spiker. We walk each week verse by verse through the scriptures, one book at a time. If you wish to join us in person, we meet each week at 10 a.m. in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. Now let's open up God's Word together and see what God says to us today. All right, lesson five. Lesson five in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to start today in 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read some verses, some jumping around in Proverbs. What I want us to do is today in Ecclesiastes 2, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. Solomon is going to try to tell you that wisdom is meaningless. Now, kind of. Kind of, that's what he's going to tell you, okay? So I figured this morning what we would do is let's, let's take a look at Solomon's relationship with wisdom. All right? Solomon, if anybody can talk about wisdom, we know it's Solomon. Why? Why can Solomon talk about wisdom? Because he's the most wise person that's ever lived. Okay? So we're going to go back and look at that. We're going to read through the Proverbs. We're going to look at some of his teachings on wisdom. Uh, some of them... And I'll, I'll talk more in depth about this here in just a minute. Some of them may, 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 <laughs> uh, at, at first glance, kind of contradict what he's telling you in Ecclesiastes and vice versa. I'm going to give you some, some information to help you understand that a little bit better. But let's start real quick in 1 Kings chapter 3. Again, and this is, you know, in, in superhero world, if you've ever watched a superhero movie, uh, Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, Batman, they all have what's called an origin story. An origin story is how they became a superhero, how they became Spider-Man. Y'all know the story of Spider-Man, right? He lived with his aunt and his uncle. His aunt and his uncle was killed. He was bit by a spider. That's pretty much the story of Spider-Man. And after he was bit by a spider, it was a radioactive nuclear spider. He had superpowers and he could sling webs. Right, origin story, okay? So now today, I want us to go back and look at a little bit of, of Solomon's beginning. So in 1 Kings chapter 3, I want us to read verses 1 through 15. Again, we're trying to figure out, we're trying to understand how he came about this wisdom that he had. So in chapter 3 of 1 Kings, he says, Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. People were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now, Solomon loved the Lord. And this is an interesting little passage right here because some of us have wondered, we've kind of, as we've gone through some of his teachings, what was his relationship with the Lord? And we, we've, we've kind of established that he's teaching the book of Ecclesiastes from the perspective of an older man who has, who has lived his life and is, is looking back on it. And he finally came to the conclusion that he loved the Lord. But this tells us that up front, early in his life, before he did all those other things, that he at the very least had an understanding of who God was, right? So here, in this verse, it says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Okay? The king, verse 4, went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. 
In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Now, any other person, that could have been a dangerous thing to tell, for, for God to say, right? What You tell me what you want me to give you, and whatever it is, that's what I'll do. Because human nature would have been, what? Riches? <laughs> um, look, we, our relationships, any number of things. But, you know, in this moment, I think it's important to see that Solomon didn't see God as a, as a genie. That he, he, he couldn't just rub the lamp and ask for whatever he wanted. So here in verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father. According as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you, and you've reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. In other words, you've already blessed me. You've blessed my father. You've blessed my family. You have provided for us. And here I am already in this position where I'm going to be the king. Verse 7, now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in the place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. It's a pretty fair thing to say, right? I'm, I'm young. I don't, I don't have a bunch of wisdom. I haven't established. I, don't, I, had, I need help. I need help with this. Pretty, pretty wise in itself to even ask for that, right? Your servant is in the midst, verse 8, of your people which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now, verse 10, this is God's answer. God responds back to Solomon. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, because you've asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, and nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I've given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. Basically telling him he's going to have the most wisdom of anybody that ever lives. So when you hear people refer to Solomon as the wisest man to ever live, God told him nobody was going to be like you before you, and not, nobody will ever be like you that comes after you. So if you, you kind of wonder where that expression comes from, that's, that verse helps us understand that, right? Okay, uh, let's see, I stopped right Verse 13, I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. In verse 14, he says, If you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Pretty interesting, pretty interesting stuff. Right? So we see, y'all knew the story of Solomon. So when we get into Proverbs and when we get into Ecclesiastes, and he starts writing these things. Proverbs is really known as a book of wisdom, right? I mean, when we read it, and some of you do that, you know people that they'll read a, a, a chapter of Proverbs every single day, right? That corresponds with the day of the month. Why? Because we, because we want to take in this wisdom. There's some really, really good stuff in the book of Proverbs. 
Now, speaking of the book of Proverbs, I want you to turn over there real quick. And we're just going to kind of jump around uh, a little bit. Because what we need to do now is we need to understand how the, the wisdom of Proverbs correlates with the teaching of Ecclesiastes. How the wisdom of Proverbs correlates with the teaching of Ecclesiastes. Alright? So, um, let's, start, let's just start at the beginning and we're going to jump around. So go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. And these are just some of the things in this book that Solomon says specifically regarding wisdom. So in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right? I'm not going to expound on these a whole lot, right? Because we're just there's a lot of them to read, and we're really trying to get to Ecclesiastes. But that helps us understand anybody who's against wisdom and anybody who's against instruction, what, is, what does this say that they are? Fools. Okay? Harsh word. Harsh word. But that's what uh, Solomon says to us here. Go over a chapter. Chapter 2, verse 6. I, I'm telling you, we got about 10 of these, and we're just going to jump and read them real quick, okay? Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Okay, so where does wisdom come from? The Lord. Okay, pretty straightforward, right? Chapter 3, verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. So based just simply on this verse, someone with wisdom, Solomon describes as what? Blessed, right? So wisdom is good. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom, if you have it, you're blessed. If you don't have it, you're a fool. Or you don't want it, you're a fool, okay? Chapter 4, verse 11 says, I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. Okay, so he's talking to his son there, and he says, I've tried to lead you in the way of wisdom. There's a reason for that. We're going to get into that when we get to uh, our passage today. Skip on over to chapter 13 of Proverbs. And look, this is not the full list. This is not every verse in Proverbs that has to do with wisdom. I just found some, and I'm going to share them with you. And then, we're, but I got two that I'm coming to that are that are super important. Chapter 13, verse 20 of Proverbs said, "He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm." So, what does he tell us there? If you want to be wise, what should you do? Hang around wise people. You should surround yourself with people smarter than you. Basically, he says, if you surround yourself with people dumber than you, dumb's a harsh word, less wise than you, then you're going you're gonna to fall down to their level or you're going to be raised up to the level of the wisdom of those that you hang out with. Either way, whoever you hang out with, and those of you that are parents, those of you that are grandparents, you've told your kids that for years, right? You're going to be who you hang out with, right? Okay? Chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 33. Chapter 15, verse 33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. In other words, uh, our wisdom comes first and foremost just out of respect from God. We understand the word fear there is not being afraid of God. It is a reverence for God. It's basically, he says, you will be wise if you just acknowledge that God is God. 
The last one here, real quick, before we go back to two more. Uh, chapter 16, verse 16. It says, How much better it is to get wisdom than gold. And to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. So wisdom is better than what? Gold. Now look, we could probably open up for discussion on that. And some of you at this point might just choose gold. I don't know. I probably would at some point. But look, he says in the grand scheme of things, it is better to have wisdom than it is to be rich. It's better to be smart and wise and make good decisions than it is to be a fool who has a lot of money. Okay? That's what he says. Now, there's two more passages I want us to look at before we get into Ecclesiastes, all right? Proverbs chapter 4. Let's go back to 4. In... Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. So the beginning of wisdom is what? <laughs> Have wisdom. <laughs> Seek for it. Go after it. But he basically says through that verse right there, the only way you're going to be wise is, is, to, is to search for it, to try. Because you will not, and you know, if you ever tried this in school, you will not Get smarter by doing nothing. Right? If you, if you were ever, you, y'all went to school, I went to school, and I could I probably, I think I've told y'all some of my college experience, right? I, I, didn't, I didn't do great in college. Why? Because I didn't pursue greatness. I, I mean, that's a fancy way of saying I didn't really try. And if you don't really try, then you really don't get what it is that you're going after. But now he, um, he says this. Turn over to chapter 19, and this is the big one. This is the good one right here. Chapter 19, verse 8 of Proverbs. It says, He who gets wisdom loves his own soul, and he who keeps understanding will find good. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul, and he who keeps understanding will find good. You see, at the end of the day, through these 10, 11, 12 verses, whatever many we looked at here, we have, we have a clear picture that Solomon is in favor of wisdom. Was there anything in that passage, any of those passages that we read right there, that leads you to believe that Solomon is anti-wisdom? That he's against having this, 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 this head knowledge, this, this smartness, this wisdom. He's not against it at all. But you do notice, now he said several times that all of it begins with the fear of the Lord. Now, there are people who think that Solomon is not the author of Ecclesiastes. I told you all that in week one. There are people who think that he's not the author of Ecclesiastes. Because some of the writings in Ecclesiastes... Again, at face value, don't seem to line up with the writings of, of Proverbs. So I just read you 10, 12 verses that basically wisdom is awesome, right? And now, today we're going to read, wisdom's pretty much meaningless. All right? So how do, we, how do we take those two things, and how do, we make them, how do we make them fit together? How do we make them okay? 
I believe that Solomon is the author of both. I believe he wrote these things, okay? So now, I will tell you that if, if Solomon and did write both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, then, then we have to assume they were probably written at different times. It's possible that in one stage of life you think one thing, and in a different stage of life you think something different. In a younger man's life, he may think that wisdom is it. And at the end of life, which we're going to be reading from today, he's established that, yeah, wisdom's good, but... Right? And that's what happened. That's essentially what happened. The book of Proverbs was written sometimes between 1015 and 975 B.C. And the book of Ecclesiastes was written sometime between 970 and 931 B.C. So anywhere between five-year discrepancy and 85 years discrepancy from when one of those two things were written. So what we can conclude is, he absolutely could easily be the author of both books. He could tell you one thing here and something different here. And look, his message today is really not that wisdom's bad. It's just not all you should put your faith in, which is really all we've been talking about the whole time anyway, right? So now... Finally, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. All of that was just a warm-up. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12. We're going to read through verse 17 today. We will finish chapter 2 the next time we meet. But in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says this, So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. See, that's not wisdom is bad because it's better than these other options, but it's still, let's keep reading. Verse 14, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. Inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike will die. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after wind. All right. So basically, wisdom is meaningless. Wisdom is meaningless. So let's jump in. In verses 1 and 2, his basic message here, and you know, he's, he's writing this to his son. He's really writing it to all of us. His basic message in verses 1 and 2 is, do as I say, not as I do. It's a good a good message for parents to tell their kids. Uh, I, I've told mine that through the years. Hey, I'm just an old screw up, right? But I'm, I can tell you that you shouldn't do those things you're, you think you should be doing, right? Do as I say, just because I messed up and just because I made a mistake doesn't mean it's okay for you to. I'm trying to teach you something different. So here, in verse, um, not 1 and 2, verse 12, So I turn to consider wisdom. So basically, again, he's looking back on his life, and now he wants to tell you about why wisdom didn't work. And he says, I considered wisdom, I considered madness, and I considered folly. Interesting that he lumps those three things together. Don't you think that's interesting? Because one of those seems unlike the other two. I don't generally conclude 
that wisdom and folly are the same thing, right? Do you? Here he's saying, he's lumping them together. So I, I look back on wisdom, madness, and folly. All right, now, listen to the end of verse 12. He says this, For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already be done? You know, clearly, clearly of the choices given, you don't have to have the wisdom of Solomon to know that if you want your kids to choose one of these three paths, wisdom, madness, or folly, it's the easy choice is wisdom, right? So you don't have to have the wisdom of Solomon to understand that. But So clearly of the choices given, living a life of wisdom would far exceed the lifestyle of madness and folly. But, but before we, we really get into that, Solomon has this, this instruction for his son. And he says in verse 12, For what will the man do who will come after the king except what's already been done? The loose translation of that is, is he's telling his kid, you're not going to find anything out there that I haven't tried. So don't even try. You know, it's possible that, that this, this recipient of this letter, this son, as he's reading this, can say, well, he's told me this and he's told me this. I think I'm going to go try that. Because surely dad never did that. Solomon's basically saying in verse 12, don't waste your time, brother. If you can dream it, if you can think of it, if you can imagine it, I've already done it and I'm here to tell you, it served no purpose, right? So I have made mistakes in my life and my kids are going to make mistakes in their lives and I hope they're not the same. I hope I have warned them and led them down a path. There's a lot of things I hadn't done, but I hope they avoid all those things, right? And he's writing this letter to say, you know, don't, don't try. Just, just quit. I, everything you can imagine, I have already done. He wants his son to learn from his mistakes. He wants me and you also, to learn from his mistakes and not do the same things, or, or really anything else for that matter, that he had already done. Ultimately here we see that Solomon is basically saying, I've lived wisely, I've lived foolishly, and neither one of them really worked for eternal purposes. I've lived wisely, I've, done, I've tried to do the right thing, I've lived foolishly, Excuse me, I've lived foolishly and I've done the wrong things, and guess what? Neither of them worked. But point B, number two, is obviously wisdom is better. Obviously, wisdom is better. Now, he says this: what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And again, it's a it's a trick question. It's a trick question. In one respect, Solomon clearly points out here. That wisdom is better. As he continues down this path, I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Okay? So basically he's saying here, though it may not be the best thing, it's still better than everything else. And his comparison is, wisdom is to folly, wisdom is to madness, like light is to darkness. Now, I sat, I sat around this morning as I was, as I was typing, up my, typing up my notes and reading through some things, and I tried to think of things that are easier to do in the dark. And I, I was thinking through, you know, like uh, uh, using a screwdriver to, to turn a screw or, or to change a, a battery to, to do... 
I thought of one thing that's easier to do in the dark than it is to do in the light. Sleep. Everything else is easier with the lights, right? Uh, I, I changed light. I changed the headlights in my car the other day. I promise you I couldn't have done that in the dark. I could barely do it in the light based on where they put headlights in cars now. And I know you're thinking, well, they're at the front. Do you know how, have y'all changed a headlight in your car lately? Oh my gosh. I'd rather sell the car. The next car would have headlights that worked. It would be easier than changing the headlight on a car, but I can't imagine having done it in the dark. And so his point here is wisdom may not be great, but it's still better than the other options. Light is better than darkness. Again, except for sleep. That was, that was the right answer. I, y'all may think of something else, but that's, that, that, I thought of one. Sleep is easier in the dark than it is with the lights on. Okay? So now, he noticed this. He says this in the next verse. This is an interesting, interesting little statement. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. That sounds like a proverb there, doesn't it? I mean, that just, that just sounds like something out of Proverbs right there. The wise man... Eyes are in his head. What does that mean? It means you have access, you have the ability to see. If you're wise, you have the ability to see. The fool does what? Walks in darkness. Choice is simple. The choice is simple. Choose wisdom. Walk with your eyes where they work, and you can see where you're going, and you can see what you're doing, and you can see what you're accomplishing. All of that sounds better than, you know. Walking around with your eyes closed or your eyes, I mean, look, this is, this is, we obviously understand that most of these things are just easier with light. And so he says here, if you're going to have wisdom, it's the equivalent of living your life with light. Now, we can go over into the New Testament. We can make a whole big jump there, right? When we, talk, when we think about light in relation to Scripture, I can't do that without thinking about Jesus who says that He is the light of the world. So look, if we want to take a spiritual application, and, and you know, Wednesday morning Bible study is a good place to take spiritual application in this, right? We are ultimately at our best when we're walking by the light. Not just some random light, not just the flashlight on the back of your phone, not just a headlamp. I'm talking about the light of the world that Jesus says He is. Which again, y'all... All of this is Solomon pointing us to God. All of this is Solomon pointing us to God. All right? So now, he's made this connection, right? The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. All right? So up until this point, wisdom is winning. Wisdom is good. Wisdom is ahead of the game in relation to madness and folly. But at the end of verse 14, he says what? And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Y'all, that one fate, we know it all too well, right? He's talking about death. You can be wise or you can be a fool. You're going to die either way. You can be the smartest man who ever lived. And look, at the end of the day, I think Solomon's real issue here is he didn't want to die. I think he's doing everything he can to avoid death. He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't even want to think about it. He's one of those that, like, I can't even talk about it. I can't even talk about it. I can't even talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to handle it. I don't want to process it. I, I know it's coming, but, look, I've seen wise people die, and I've seen dumb people die, and it didn't matter that one guy was wise and the other one wasn't. Because the same fate 
I love that. One fate befalls us all, right? That's, that's good, that's good flowery, flowery language right there, right? So, you know, you can be successful or you can make mistakes. You can have positive things to show for your life. You can have nothing to show for your life. At the end of the day, we're all still going to have a funeral or a memorial service or, or something, about, again, short of the return of Christ while we're all still alive. It's fate that will happen to every single one of us. Which then kind of leads us to this next thing. He kind of has a conundrum. He's kind of got this moment in his life where he's, he's then now looking back and he, he basically is, is trying to figure out. And he says, I mean, really he's come to the conclusion that death is the great equalizer. Right? What, what do they say? The, the, the only things that are sure in life are death and taxes. Right? And everybody, well, everybody's supposed to pay taxes. I won't say everybody pays taxes because I'm sure there are people in jail that didn't. But everybody's going to die, and everybody in America at least, is, I don't know what the rest of the world does, but everybody in America is supposed to pay taxes, right? Without fail. But the conundrum here is that, that, that he's, he's thought that wisdom was better, but at the, end of the same, at the end of the day, he's still getting the end of his life and realizing he's going to die. Now, here is where I think the rubber really meets the road for Solomon. In verse 16, he says this, For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, and is inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. Y'all want to know what I really think Solomon's worried about more than dying? He's going to be forgotten. Nobody's going to remember him. And he's done all these things. He's had all this money. He's had all these riches. He's had all this wisdom. He's had all these wives. He's built all these buildings. And his biggest concern, I honestly think, because he's mentioned it multiple times. This is not the first time in two chapters we've talked about this. I think his biggest concern is that no one is ever going to talk about the name of Solomon ever, ever again. Vanity. So, the interesting thing is, here we are today, 3,000 years after Solomon lived, and we're still just trying to get to the bottom of all the stuff he's taught us. So, from that perspective, he couldn't have been more wrong, right? He couldn't have been more wrong. We are still, after 3,000 years, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say in 3,000 years, no one is going to be talking about me. I won't lump y'all in with that because y'all, they may, somebody may be talking about y'all, but I'm pretty sure in 3,000 years, that would be the year what? 5023, if the Lord tarries. The word, the name Casey Spigner is going to be absolutely meaningless and serve no purpose. But you know what? I'm not the least bit worried about it. Because my job as a believer is not to make much of my name, but to make much of his. Right? That should be our goal in life. So I think he's worried about that. I think that's his, his biggest concern. He's already told us, y'all, that the vast majority of us will be forgotten. And basically, he, he's told us this, we can be worried, we can be wise, we can do great things, but the majority of us will die completely when those who remember us are gone. Your, your memory is going to carry on in your children and your grandchildren, but at some point, guess what? They're going to be gone too. And the only way anybody's ever going to know, unless you accomplish something great, is somewhere there's going to be a marker with your name and your little date on it. It can be depressing. It can be depressing. And, but, but that's where we are. 
That's where we are. He says, in the coming days, all will be forgotten. His biggest point here, y'all, there's no way to cheat death. Coming for everybody. Cheery subject for an overcast Wednesday morning, right? Now, there was one more point that the commentary made this morning, and I thought this was pretty interesting. Wisdom does not always work out immediately. But it always works out ultimately. I'll just stop, stop and process that for just a minute. Wisdom doesn't always work out immediately, but it always works out ultimately. In that point, what are we talking about? We're talking about a different kind of wisdom than a worldly wisdom when we say that. We're pointing then to godly wisdom, to that relationship with Christ. In that, sometimes on this earth, the things of, of, of faith i got to figure out how to word this because I don't, want to, I don't want to say it wrong. You're not always in the best situation in life because you're a believer. And, and, I, and the, according to the world's standards, right? And so ultimately, in, in, a, in a moment, it may seem that godly wisdom has set you back. But at the end, godly wisdom, that, that choice to follow Christ, that choice to serve God, that choice to do the things that He has called you to do, will win out. You may, you may have seasons of life where you feel like, well, I'd just be better off. And look, Solomon said that, basically. Why did I, why did I even try wisdom? I'm just going to end up in a, in a box like these other people. I should have just had fun. And so you may be tempted. You may have been tempted at some point in your life to go, well, honestly, in this moment, I believe I'm being punished for being a Christian, and I'd be better off. And you may have felt like that in a moment, but I promise you for eternity, you will not feel that way. You are much better off serving God, following God, choosing God, living for God, accepting God, accepting Jesus and what He's done for you than you are trying to follow and figure out the things of the world. Because listen, y'all, here's the honest deal. If you figure out the things of the world, you probably ought to write a book. If you figure out all the craziness that's going on outside these doors this morning, you probably ought to tell somebody. Because chances are good y'all are all as confused about what's going on in this world as I am. You know who's not? God is not confused this morning. God is not surprised. God has not been caught off guard. He knew there was going to be a battle going on in Israel. He knew that there were going to be innocent people being slaughtered and murdered. He knew all of that was going on. And again, there are people who would say, well, why would a loving God allow? Because God is, God is sovereign, because God is perfect, because, but He also allows us to have free will and do things. And godly wisdom will never fail you. You may, you may think in a moment that it has been a setback for you, but it will never, ever fail you. The ultimate conclusion here, I think he, he comes to, verse 17, this is, this is um, interesting. So I hated life. Pretty, 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 pretty straightforward conclusion there. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me. Everything is futility and striving after wind. I hated life, he says. And I don't know that that's necessarily... I think what he's saying is he hated life the way he tried to live it. 
to her point, right, he, he was still gaining wisdom even when he was making mistakes. You're still learning if you choose to. You still learn from those things you have messed up in along the way. The context of this, again, is so important. I've said it every week. I'm, I'm going to keep saying it until y'all stop me and go, we know. <laughs> the, the point of this, right, is he's telling you earthly ways. He's telling you selfish ways. He's telling you his way of doing things didn't work. The only thing that works, the only thing that matters, the only thing that helps us through any of this is knowing that that godly wisdom that we talked about, that, that wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit living in us and once we've accepted Christ and choosing to do the things that He guides us to do and directs us to do, that's the only way any of this is going to matter. You have, to, you have to trust in God. You have to believe in God. You have to acknowledge His ways. Uh, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own ways, right? In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Right? So, you can learn from mistakes, but ultimately, y'all, his, his message is seek God. Seek God. Seek God. Seek after Him. Do the things that He wants you to do because His way is better. His wisdom is is better. You know, he hated life. He hated the things he had done because they, they were apart from God. They weren't part of God's plan for what he could have been and who he could have been, right? Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to what God had to say to us. If you have any questions about today's Bible study, you can call our church office at 205-339-4071, and we will be glad to answer any questions you might have. God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week.